Hi, I'm Corey May, World Director at Haven Entertainment, and welcome to Game Maker's Notebook. I'm your host for today's episode. I'm here with Graham Parks, uh, Creative Director and Writer, and Oliver Lewin, Game Director and Composer at Goodbye World Games. We're here to talk today about Before Your Eyes. We're going to go through their journey going from school project to full release, the evolution of the blinking mechanic that's so central to the experience, and then a pretty spoiler-filled discussion of the game's incredible story. Uh, we hope you enjoy the chat. Welcome to the Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Here today with Oliver Lewin and Graham Parks, uh, two of the people behind a game that is very near and dear to my heart that I love very much called Before Your Eyes. And I uh, just wanted to chat with the two of you today a bit, um, learn a little bit more about you, uh, your company, the game, and then you know eventually we'll probably get to a point where I'll give spoiler warnings to the people that are listening at home so that we can dig into, I don't know, some of the more interesting and intriguing bits about the game. Uh, so I guess I'd I wanted to uh, just start out by yeah having the two of you tell me your stories like where did you come from, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, uh, um, I've actually known this guy here since we were neighbors when we were three years old. So this is this is a friendship that's that goes back many years, um, and uh, yeah, so we've been friends forever. Um, and then the third sort of lead on the project who's not on this, Will Hellworth. Um, uh, I went to middle school with him, so I met him at around 12. So it's the core group of us who are childhood friends um, and, you know, always big gamers and always sort of, um, we were also kind of, we were kind of halfway between film kids and, and gamer and gamer <laughs> kids. Uh, 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 we worked at a local movie theater, like repertoire. We were the kind of, um, yeah, pretentious movie kids, but we were also obsessed with video games. Will went to uh, USC to study games. I went to NYU to study playwriting. I ended up minoring in game design. And um, Ollie studied music because he's our, our producer and co-director, but he's also the composer for all the music in the game. Um, yeah, so we've known each other uh, um, forever. And, and this project started actually as Will, who's not on this call, his senior project at USC. Um, uh, and he kind of brought us both in to to me to write and Ollie to write music for it. And that's kind of when this whole thing started at, um, at the end of 2014. So that actually raises another question for me, at least. Uh, there were multiple iterations of this game, it sounds like. It started out as a, as a project and then evolved. And so I'd be really curious to know sort of how it went from that to what we all played last year. Um, yeah, I think in terms of that kind of history of it, like Graham was saying, um, it started as a student project uh, through Will having having this kind of like kernel of the idea for it and and developing it at USC. And then he brought on Graham and, and then me as, as kind of friend collaborators. And that student project, um, it went to IndieCade and got some awards there. And it went to IGF. I think it got like the student award at IGF. That was in... 2014, 
Um, and then after that, there was a kind of decision to do a Kickstarter. Um, and it was like, okay, like, let's do this for real. And we'll, we'll do the Kickstarter, um, or what we thought was, was for real. And then we did the Kickstarter era in 2016, um, which was like a lot of like trial by fire kind of situation. Um, so we, we learned a lot during that. Um, and then we secured actual funding to kind of take it to, I would describe like, I guess I would say a legitimate place in 2018, at the end of 2018. And that's when some of us like on the team were like, okay, we can actually work on this and it not just be like weekends and nights. Like we can actually set aside time and, and work on it like a job. And um, in 20, in 2020, I shouldn't have even set myself up with all these dates because now it's yeah. like the expectations. There's gonna be dates. In 2020 on April. Uh, so then we got the, the rest of the funding that we needed came from Skybound Games who published the game. Um, and so, yeah, the original, original game that went to IGF and IndieK was called Close Your. And that kind of went through all these iterations and Graham wrote like 10 versions of the script. And then we got to Before Your Eyes. It's almost like we talk about it sometimes, like there was a short film that we made back in 2014. And then ultimately it kind of like turned into the feature length. And that's what came out in 2021. With Sky yeah. Man. So I'd be curious when you look at clip from going from Close Your to Before Your Eyes, how... How big was the experience? How similar is it to what shipped? There's to me, it's always really interesting to think about how a game begins or how a game, you know, is initially prototyped versus what releases. And I'd just be really curious to know, um, yeah, how it evolved and what it was yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, now there's not a single like shared, you know, from that first version of the game. There's not like a single shared asset piece of dialogue. Okay. anything really really what what they share is the, is is the most basic concept and that was really what we started with what will came in with which was this idea that we can use webcams to track your eyes and um i think that he was playing like uh at the time those kind of first blendo games games were coming out like 30 flights of loving loving and gravity's bone those are big influences on all of us um and it was this idea of bringing the cut into games it was the first time that like it felt like game makers were bringing some of that cinematic language over um, and he kind of realized that with this, with what um, eye tracking can do, that we can kind of take it one step further and actually offload the cut to the player and actually use the the blink to do to do the cut. And so that's really what what, what we started with. Very quickly, as as we started talking about it, me with the film background, that got me so excited because it felt such like this amazing fusing of those two languages. Um, uh, and very quickly, we kind of went, well, let's do something where it's life goes by in the blink of an eye. The idea of doing a whole life story so you're blinking through someone's entire life that very early on as soon as he kind of said let's do something with this tech that very early on we all glommed on to it's like we want to we we, we want to look at a, a life from beginning to end um uh and then those things stayed the same through every single iteration but it was almost like completely new um you know so it was a student project so you know the team was completely different and we build that first version of it. And, you know, if you look back at that stuff, there was no VO, it was all text that, you know, the, the graphics were very rudimentary. It very much looked, it felt like a student project. I mean, we have up on our social media, it's like the early, early trailer. And it, it is funny for us to watch because it was really like, you know, um, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty janky in places, but there was something about that concept that very clearly when you put that in front of players, it, that jumping and using the tech in that way, just even when I, you know, even when I think the writing was pretty, I think that the, you know, all the tech was pretty rudimentary. I can speak for myself in saying that 
my writing wasn't very good at that point while I was in college. Like it was very uh, pretentious and, 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 um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> um, going for things that maybe I didn't really know about, you know, just like what, what college kid writing normally is and all these things about it were, were rough, but it, every time that we built it, it would still get this really amazing emotional reaction. And, and I think that we just kept seeing that there was clearly something here, um, and kept feeling like, wow, if, if it's working this well at this level, well, how would it, how well could it work at the next level? And that kind of kept pushing us to, you know, also then taking it to festivals to Indiecade. So it was like after that student project went to Indiecade and won the developer's choice there, then it was suddenly, okay, let's all do a bunch of more work and almost make a whole new thing that we then took to the IGF. And then that won the student award at the IGF. And so at, almost at every step, it was like, we went, okay, let's throw out everything. And then let's use this as an opportunity to start again and do it right this time. Um, and I think there's like, you know, yeah, there really were like three or four full kind of different iterations, though every iteration up until this last one, um, until we really had this funding, were much shorter. They were like 15 to 20 minutes, maybe tops, like 30 minutes of play. Um, and so once we had this actual finance, well, from the Kickstarter, we went, okay, we want to make this an actual like movie length experience. That's a more full thing that you could actually sell. So yeah, it really is that short film being adapted into a feature film kind of thing. And so, uh, so interesting to me, I spent most of my career working on big unwieldy AAA games and the idea of being able to ship something that's not the first draft is so boring to me and I'm very jealous. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm curious, did, when you decided, like, what was the process of deciding to take it to Kickstarter? Was this sort of moment where you sat down together and asked yourselves, you know, do we try and, and take this further? Like, what were the, were there people that you went to sort of talk to about, like, what came next? Like, how did you arrive at the decision to really make that transition, I guess, from short film to feature? I think, yeah, I mean... That this would be a, a key will question because that was, I think that was him largely. And I think at, at USC at the time, I didn't go to USC, but sort of speaking from observation, there was a little bit of like a pipeline of like, oh, your indie game, like your student game did kind of well. Like, and there were a lot of Kickstarters at that time for these kinds of indie games. So I think that it was sort of like, uh, yeah, I think that people, I think that will felt like, oh yeah, this, this received enough sort of, um, compliments that justified going further with it um, but there was yeah, a large like, there, was a, uh, there was a large gap between like that IGF yeah, there's about a year Kickstarter yeah um, and I think it was the Kickstarter was in the summer yeah. of 2016 yeah so there was like a gap and so were you still working on the game during that gap or had you gone off to do other stuff and then so you got crazy. a call one night that was like oh, let's get back into it <laughs> we were always kind of like meeting up on it and talking about it. But I, I can remember kind of going to Will and being like, hey, let's, let's, we should do this. Like, this is an opportunity. And I remember me and Will, like, we're, we're batting it around, but, you know, back and forth for a while, I remember during that, that year off. And Ollie and I worked on a short film that went to, that went to South by Southwest. Um, and I think it was like after, it was after that, right after that, that we did, the, that we did the Kickstarter. I think it was just us kind of going, well, we have this thing and let's, I don't know. It was that it was that belief in going, wow, if if a version that was that kind of rushed and, you know, if, if you know, especially when you're young, like especially in college and then right out of college, like you feel like you're growing so much like a year. You feel like 
every year, if you know, you feel like this totally different person that has this totally different skill set. That's like, oh man, who I was as a writer, who I was as a game maker, as a composer a year ago was, if I, you know, I, I'm so much better now. I think that kind of <laughs> levels out the older you get. But I think there was this feeling of going, wow, if it did that well, then, then if we just had a little money and a little more time in our current, you know, our current skill sets, we could make something amazing. And yeah, it was just kind of taking the plunge. I think very soon after doing it, um, we realized how kind of we were still really stupid, basically. Like we, we, we got the kick, we kickstarted for way too little money. Um, we promised way too much. Um, we really were that classic failed Kickstarter of a bunch of, you know, idiotic kids over promising <laughs> and then yeah, not being it was able like, to deliver. That's like, honestly, that's like an intense thing to go through at that age, like right out of college to like, you know, feel like, oh, we're, we're Kickstarter failures. Cause yeah, you, you like Graham <laughs> said, you're like, oh my God, dude, we just, we just bagged 25,000 bucks. Like, we can make the world's best game and you're it's, it's so ignorant um and then you start having these emotions of like we're failures we're letting down like thousands of people like it's it's kind of like a rough a rough thing and we didn't know if we'd make it out of it but but we did we did make a game ultimately uh, what was that process like so it started out you were super psyched you you had what you thought you needed everything was wonderful and then what was the sort of first i don't know sign that maybe you needed to have asked for more yeah uh, i think i think it just was <laughs> like was there a moment uh, yeah i mean pretty quickly i think we just realized that like you know it was that kind of just like jump jump first and 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 sort of figure it out as we go and it was just it was a kind of just a sort of a blind jump from a cliff and we're really happy that we made that jump you know ultimately it is sort of like we needed that you know, to make an, an indie game is not really an advisable pursuit, especially one that is narrative focused and experimental and and just weird and uses weird new tech that isn't tested. And all the things about it were like bad ideas. So if we weren't kind of, you know, if we if, if we were thinking too much, we wouldn't have done it. And, and I think that we're all really happy that we did, though there definitely were years where we realized, holy shit, like, you know, I think it was also this problem of no one could be full time. So everybody had other gigs, everyone was pursuing other careers. Um, and we're all childhood friends, like uh, the, the, the um, lead artist, Griffin was our other really, it, it, who, who did an amazing work on the game, but is our other really close childhood friend. Um, so there's a lot of like, it's sort of like, we, we, we compare it a lot to like a band, you know, and in the ways that that's great, and the ways that that can be not great. And that like, that, you know, we're all, we all know each other so well that um, that's what leads to such great collaborate, uh, creative collaboration, but it can also lead to a kind of like, well, you're not doing any work or you took this whole week to do that thing. So I don't want to do that thing. And if it led to infighting, when we kind of realize, oh, we're in over our heads, we don't really have the infrastructure for this. Um, it just it very quickly, you know, it, it was, oh, this went from being this like fun student project that we all get to collaborate from. And that time in life, when you're in college, you don't have other pressures. You're not trying to make rent. You're just kind of there. Then to suddenly it's this nights and weekends commitment. And suddenly it just, uh, yeah, it just didn't, um, <laughs> we very quickly kind of realized that it's easy to say, yeah, we'll commit it and we'll, we'll kill it overnights and weekends. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. And it's another thing to actually, while juggling everything else that life throws your way, actually do it. I feel like there's also like a threshold when you're making something, when you're kind of, um, and you're at a stage where you're going to test 
um, and you some like there's a point where you you're actually excited to get the feedback because you're like I want to know if people like this and if like how they're going to react to it. Well, and then there's a lot of times where you're about to test something, but you're like I already know what they're going to say. Um, I already know how I want to do this differently. Like, and yeah. we were always there. Um, it wasn't until that next iteration where we started to kind of like button up and and treat it more like a job that we ever got to a stage where we're like, wait, we want to test this. Now we've actually executed something the way we envisioned it. And so you you went through the Kickstarter process. It wasn't quite enough. And so what was the, the next step then? Did you reach a point where you figured we need to find either more money or we need to yeah. make up with people that, okay. So it, I'd be interested just to hear about that transition. Yeah, it was kind of... Um... It was honestly kind of like it was getting to that place where, um, you know, everybody's other commitments and stuff were taking so much time, just kind of getting, you know, just kind of slowly chipping away at it when we all could, realizing, you know, slowly and, and a certain amount of, um, uh, I think, yeah, despair starts to creep in over the team. Um, I, we, I feel like Ollie and I are very intent to talk openly about this in case, in case there's anyone out there who's as, who's as stupid or foolish as we were of knowing that, like, um, just speaking openly to that, there is that thing of going, well, this was the student project had all this promise. People got excited about it on Kickstarter and funded it and then kind of going, oh, man, we don't actually know how to do this. Um, uh, we did start kind of feeling around for, for, for investment and realizing that wasn't something that we really knew how to do. I mean, we had, we had had early conversations with a few investors and a few publishers that didn't really go anywhere after the student project. Um, but, uh, you know, we kind of got lucky with um, a company called Riot, R-Y-O-T. They're like a subsidiary of Verizon. Um, they're really focused more on, um, they were more focused on VR, documentary, AR stuff, not as much game in the game space. Um, but I had taken a meeting over there um, for something unrelated. Um, and it turns out that they were fans of the project. And it was just one of those kind of really lucky things where it turns out they had known about the project and read about it because it kind of, you know, made it even earlier versions of the project made some splash in on like, you know, Kotaku and Kill Screen and certain things. So people who were, you know, had read those stuff knew about it. Um, and we just started getting talking. We met a producer over there named Jake Sally, who um, I think was really instrumental to kind of to, to, to kind of helping us see that, oh man, there could be a bigger version of this thing and kind of um, opening our eyes up to, to taking on investment. Um, and yeah, it just kind of happened really organically um, that, that step of us kind of going, wow, there, you know, there's this company that really would be willing to put this investment in and this would give us a chance to really right the wrongs of the past and um, actually kind of take the proper, you know, stab at this thing that we've never been able to take because we just haven't had the time or the money. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of just came together that way. And then what happened post the sort of investment from Riot? Because you also went out and found publishing as well, right? That, yeah, that came later. Um, the, okay. the, the Skybound journey came later. Um, and that really was the, the next essential part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. once we had the, go ahead, Ollie. I mean, I think to me, like the most sort of standout thing uh, in terms of like your question is, is team building. Like we started, we really knew like where our gaps were and, and what we needed on the team. Um, so we, we, it was enough money to kind of think more logically about where all that money would go. And, and we knew we needed a kind of like a, a lead programmer, lead designer 
injection of new ideas into the project. How so, big was the team at the time that you met with Riot versus how it started growing post that? I mean, again, um, we were, were like, part time. Yeah, there were at oh. that point there were really like four of us who were just still like really attached, like four or five of us oh, who wow. just like remained attached. Um, and yeah, and then so soon after getting the money, we we hired Bella, Bella Messix, who's our kind of lead designer, lead programmer, just really was like the shake it up kind of new new blood we needed. Um, and that kind of got us off to the races. We, we tried to like really apply um, a little more maturity to like making schedules, figuring out the deliverables, like doing alpha, doing beta, things, things like that. Um, and we got it we got it to a good place. Um, but we, we also started learning about the way that the industry actually functioned and, and what publishers did as opposed to just an investor. And that's how we started kind of looking, looking out for publishers. And we also, at that time, really, that was a learning process too. And we realized, okay, actually we need a bit more money to really execute this the way that we've, we really want to do it. Yeah. I mean, it was at every step. Um, yeah, kind of like it was kind of like um, um, learning by doing or learning by failing was is kind of I think the, <laughs> the the underlying thesis statement of the process of making before your eyes was sort of learning through failure and then picking yourself up and going okay so clearly you, you can't get it done that way um, what's the way that's the right way to get it done but I mean going back a little bit from there I think one of the things that you know the investment also allowed was like. Um, for the first time we kind of really could like scope a project and i think this is so essential because when you're trying to work you know we really genuinely you know when we did that kickstarter we really genuinely thought like okay we will make this happen on nights and weekends um but the problem with that kind of commitment to something is is that um it's so easy to it's so easy to to um kind of be overly optimistic about what what's what your schedule is going to allow for. And I think that once you actually had once we actually had a budget and a sense of okay, we have given these people a contractual deadline and we are all actually kind of working full time on this thing, suddenly, you know, you you stop kind of you you're able to actually look at it and figure out scope and have those conversations in a real way. And it was so important for us. One thing was just the financial help, but also just the structure that that provided, you know having somebody, you know, having some sense of um, a producer that is, you know, on you, uh, you know, some, you know, people complain about the money people or that, you know, that, oh, we just want to be creative. But like, it really, you know, it's so important, I think, as a creative to have some sense of structure. Um, if you're just alone, and you know, it's completely on you to do it. it, it it's so hard to not let it over scope or not let it just go, for, you know, push and push. One thing that um, getting Riot, uh, the Riot invested really helped with was that we were able to because we were so at that point we were so shrunk we didn't have everyone else was working other jobs everyone was doing different things so i get that got to have time to basically start first as the writer and basically just for two or three months for like three or four maybe five months it was basically just like me working full-time writing and working with will and ollie um just on the script and not building anything in unity we had built so much stuff we had learned so much about what the game was but i think that's a again another place where our kind of very weird unprofessional you know way of making a game actually resulted in something that i, I imagine you know as, as a games writer you never really get which is like that time when it's not a sense of a production timeline and it's not a sense of um everyone's working we need this by tomorrow but just real real time to just do story development just do script development and i had all the uh, great partners and all in will where it'd be like you know 
you know, a couple times a week or every week, they'd read pages, we'd go back and forth, we'd get on phone calls, we'd meet up in person, talk, I'd go off and write, we'd come back together. And we really were able to like write this script. And then so when we started hiring up those other people, like Ollie mentioned, Bella Messix, who really came on and, and kind of really helped the project, Richard Beer, our engineer, so who is who's an amazing help, Dylan, Terry, our, our sound lead, all these people started joining on, all our great artists started joining on, but we had had that time um, to just almost in a vacuum, like figure out the story we were telling. Um, and that was such a, um, that was such a blessing, um, I think for, for what the game ultimately ended up be- becoming. I would, I do have a quick question actually about that. I'd be curious, cause I feel like it's different for everyone. What your writing process was like, were you doing it in final draft? Were you doing it in, a, you know, another program? Were there, um, What's the word? Were you thinking about the mechanics as you went or were you really tackling it from a purely narrative standpoint at that moment? Yeah, a, a bit of a bit of I mean, all through all the different versions, we tried all sorts of different ways. There were lots of versions that were more interactive and more branching in them. So we I used to prototype things or, or actually write full scripts and twine um, by the I also did other writing in final draft and that would be like my more kind of like native or more comfortable place. So then when it came to doing that full draft, I was very much like, I don't want to keep messing with twine. I I don't want to keep messing with, I want to just do it in a way that is like most comfortable to me because um, twine's an amazing tool. Um, But it becomes, um, it can very quickly, if if you're not organized like me, it can become this, you know, it can become a big mess. I don't know how much you've, you've played with some of that kind of stuff, but you really have to be on it. And I, and I wanted to pare down, um, some of the branching and all that kind of stuff that got even more pared down as we got into production and we kind of realized, but, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just did it in final draft. And I was always trying to think to, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in, you know, make writing games. Um, you know, if I'm trying to work in games, it's because I'm interested in what games can do. And that, that was always what really attracted me to this project was it felt like it could be very much a story game that though the, the, couldn't work as well in any other genre, you know, and, and that's the only kind of game I'd be interested in writing is something where the gameness of it is inextricably tied to what makes it great. So I'm always thinking about um, the interactions and, and, ha- and, and the play experience. And because I had Will and Ollie, um, I always had, you know, those collaborators looking at it and, and Will go, you know, and that push and pull. So it wouldn't be just me writing a story and not thinking about the gameplay though. You know, I will say that, um, I had written something that uh, once we brought on Bella, there was, we had a great story. And a lot of what that process then became once we had that script that we knew we liked the story on was him, was that push and pull with the um, interaction and the design. And and I had tried my best, but it, I'm not a, you know, a designer. So then it did come, Bella is a very confident designer coming in and kind of going, kind of pulling that script apart a little bit and making and finding places where um, it was too much of just a movie and finding places to let the interaction lead a little bit more. And that was a really great process. So I guess the other stuff I want to start getting into at this point, I think it's still safe and not too spoilery, is the blinking is so core, like you're saying, to the entire experience. And I'm just curious to sort of know the history behind it. Was that the very first thing from day one? Was it this idea of like, we, we want to create an experience that is driven through this, you know, act of blinking. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. That's very much the kind of, um, 
that was the one thing, as I said, that never changed. It was that was Will's kind of brain blast and and the kind of thing that brought us all together was this fascination with blinking and the idea of blinking through somebody's life, the idea of life flashing before your eyes and using eye detection to to make it so you're trying to hold your eyes open and you can't and you blink and you and you jump forward. And it was a lot about that that the kind of you know the way that that's kind of most games are about empowerment and that most mechanics seem to be about empowering a, a player. Um, and I think that what was subversive about it, um, which always excited us was this was fundamentally about, you know, taking power away and, and forcing the player to sort of submit themselves to the inevitable because they, you can only fight a blink for so long. Um, and that metaphor just always felt so for all of us always felt so juicy and like, Oh, and, and again, it's like, we, we, it was always a great idea and it took so long to like actually, you know, drill all the way down into it. And I think we always felt like, God, there's more here because there's something so, you know, inherently sort of juicy and 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 evocative about that metaphor. So, yeah, that blink, the blink thing, blinking through someone's life, trying to hold on to a memory and you blink too soon, you jump to the next. That that was the one thing that every single version and that was always going back to how do we maximize that? How do we how do we underline that in the best way? It's interesting that you bring that up because when I was playing through it, um, I experienced that tension. And so I guess, cause initially my question was going to be, did you put some of those things in on purpose to sort of create that tension between, do I keep, do I try and force my eyes open or do I blink? And it was even in smaller moments. I remember as a child, like trying to, uh, use the boat to pop all the clouds, same thing in the bathtub. And so I was like, they're building these things in and sometimes, you know, more, you, you would get the metronome, but then you would also see there's more things to do in the, in the space potentially. And um, it's just really interesting to hear you talk about the philosophy embracing that conflict, because I know that I experienced this idea of like, do I struggle? Do I surrender? What's the right thing to do? There were a couple of times where I must've blinked, even though I was trying to fight it back and I moved along and I was like, you know, this is tough, but this feels real. And so I, I agree there was a like a there's a lot of power there. It really felt like it was being true to life. Um and so I just I don't know, I guess I'm just taking a moment to say I really appreciate it. I am yeah. curious if there were conversations though during the development about like what what should the rules be behind blinking? Are there rules? Um did things evolve or change as you as you played with the game? Did you initially wanna just, you know, I don't know, increase that tension, decrease that tension. What were those discussions like? Around yeah, I mean, that was that was the kind of ongoing, never ending discussion. And I think, you know, we all really recognize that most of the games that that we loved and, and played a lot of were kind of like these control fantasies where in terms of the pacing, you know, you're in your level and you have a lot of control over, you know, exploiting that environment and getting what you need there. Um, but the reality of life is that it, it really does like wash over you and how you handle that emotionally is, is the big question. And so I think we always knew we wanted it to have that montage feeling of, of life passing too fast. Um, but the, the finding the sweet spot emotionally of, of like how fast is too fast was a really, really long journey for us. And I think that for a long time, what we were seeing from the playtesting was that we were kind of being too, um, too intense. Like I almost <laughs> want to say like sadistic or something. Cause like people were just like, damn, that was really frustrating. Like I missed everything. And it's like, well, you want it to be bittersweet. You don't want it to be like 
really frustrating. And so we, we just kept on trying to find ways to find that sweet spot. And one of the things that Bella really introduced was this idea of a threshold, um, which ultimately like that led to that kind of UI element of the metronome kind of coming up um, at a certain point in every scene. Um, and after that point, your blink takes you to the next level. And I think that that kind of introduced this this uh, section, ladder section of each of each scene where you feel like, oh, okay, anything here is sort of bonus or or I can be proud of myself, but I know it's going to be fleeting and it's going to disappear soon. Graham really played a, a lot with that in the writing too and with the actors yeah. sort of saying, okay, after a certain point, ad lib and just keep going because there's so much stuff in there that it's like less than 1% of the players are going to get to see, but we really wanted it in there. Yeah, we wanted it to always that have... Go ahead. Uh, no, you first go for it. Oh, sorry. No, no, just that uh, we always, as he said, always trying to design it so that there was something to try to hold your eyes. Like we always wanted you to feel, or most scenes, we did want you to have that experience you're describing where you're going to have some version of mm, maybe I missed something. And we wanted a little bit of that um, sense of regret um, it almost baked into every single scene if we, if we could. Does that mean that once upon a time there was no metronome and you could just blink your way all the way through? Yeah, um, bingo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. Bella, so that's very... really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And that worked, I think, in the in the smaller versions a little better because it, you know it was this sort of just this crazy blast and experience, and you would just sort of sit down and blink through someone's whole life and go, "What you know?" Um, but that worked, you know, at a, in a festival environment. Maybe you sit down in front of this thing and just have this fifteen minute thing. But once it came to yeah, we're designing this whole thing. It just, it, it, it took so much control away. And I think that that's a thing that it's always really hard in, 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 in writing. I think sometimes about like, um, you know, that difference between ambiguity and lack of clarity or something like that. Like, um, a lot of like young writers, I've done some teaching of writing and I feel like a lot of young writers, um, they want their stories to not be too obvious. Um, and they think I want it to be sort of ambiguous, but they, they, often early on when you try to be ambiguous it ends up just being unclear and confusing and i think that was like the problem we had for a long time where it was like well we want this game to be frustrating in that in the way life is frustrating in the fact that you can't hold on to every single moment and we want you know i think it's important to us that we're, we're interested in exploring mechanics that aren't just fun um we're interested in exploring mechanics but there's that line between that it's sort of about that feeling of frustration but still not that it's frustrating because I think that they're just bad designers and that it was just, this was just a mistake that I jumped through the scene. And it was so hard to find that thing of something where it felt like, yes, it's frustrating, but it was clear that it was intentionally frustrating. And um, that's really what that bringing that metronome up in the scene, kind of that really clicked for us because I was able to write a, a scene before that came out, comes out, not worrying about, oh, is the player going to miss this or not? Get all the important information across to know that they're going to feel like they're in good hands. They're not going to be confused about what, who's who or, oh, I jumped out of the scene before I even understood at all what was happening in it, which that's just bad frustrating. That's not interesting frustrating. Um, and then once that metronome came up, then suddenly now everything that we can put on that other side can still be fascinating and can build out the world. It can really make you want to stay. And then you're going to be frustrated when you blink, but you're going to know that that frustration is part of the experience because we put that metronome there and, and you feel like you're in good hands. And it took a long time to kind of, um, to kind of finally figure out how to get what our intention was, which was the kind of good frustrating, um, and separate that from the unintentional frustrating, which is yeah, a lot of that. I feel like 
a lot of that I feel like is sort of front loading the content that is must see content and and you know that's Graham in the dialogue and it's also the art in terms of the visual storytelling and the environment and it's the music and it's the audio and I think that um, it's a lot of the interactions too and I think once you once we figured out that formula of kind of front loading the content that was must see and then as the scene goes on it becomes more and more like getting into bonus territory and then getting into like ad-libbing territory um, where, yeah, there are certain things where I think like the, the creators and the people that localized the, the subtitles are like the only people who have ever heard some of these things. Um, but it, we, we definitely like had fun with, with that bonus territory. It makes me think about that thing in oblivion where there's like someone found this one, um, this one NPC that says like, wait, hold on, let me do that. Let me do that. Take again. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, there's like almost yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and VO is the easiest thing. Cause when we realized with the scope, we, we wanted to have a game that had, you know, tons of content you can miss but when it comes to actually properly scoping a game, you realize, okay, it's pretty hard to put a bunch of interactions that you're going to maybe the link through a lot of things like that, but BO, especially if you have great, you know, actors who can ad lib the way that we did, um, you know, putting in a two minute, three minute BO clip versus a 30 second BO clip is takes about the same amount of time, especially because we designed a lot of the scenes so that you didn't always see the characters. Sometimes they're behind you, they're in the right. other room. That was very intentional because we knew, okay, we can then just just throw a really long BO clip in there. And if it's interesting enough dialogue, the player is going to want to listen to it. And it's a kind of very cost-effective way to give that effect that we always wanted the game to have. I have other questions about the blinking, but it starts to venture into spoiler territory. So I'll save <laughs> it for when we talk about the, the spoilery stuff later, because I think you do some really interesting things. And I'm assuming it's intentional with you know what you can blink away from versus what you then can't blink away from later but we can i'll save it for for a little bit further down the road um just in case people haven't uh played through yet uh i'm curious with the blinking and this is a maybe more i don't know technical or practical question were there issues or surprises along the way with the technology with the mechanic things that you were pleasantly surprised by things that you know were a source of frustration um, challenges that you had to overcome in terms of just making it work. I, I, you know, I, I know there's some calibration at the beginning. I'm, I'm just yeah, curious about what that was like, like getting the blinking to actually function as an input. Yeah, that was that was a huge, um, massive part of the the whole development process. Um, you know, there's so many variables that um, Rich, our our lead engineer, had to account for, um, and also had to design very kind of specific testing protocols for um, the sun setting mid playthrough weird webcams from the dark web, um, <laughs> you know, like people using avatars, avatar like apps, VTuber apps concurrently in the background. There's just an endless list of, of variables and, um, so Rich just tweaked endlessly, trying to trying to kind of get the best um, kind of baseline scenario for all these variables of, of lighting and, and environmental variables, and and um, then kind of we created this calibration um, scene in the beginning so that it would sort of tailor it to different people's scenarios, and we you know it came a really really long way because we were always kind of monitoring 
how that would go. But, you know, there were curveballs like up until the very last day, you know, people, you know, once the pandemic came about, it was like, what's going to happen if someone's wearing a mask? Um, you know, Graham kind of always reminds us about how like testing even became harder during the pandemic because um, webcams were like sold out everywhere because everyone wanted to like suddenly um, be streaming. And um, so that was, you know, there were, there were, there was, there were so many kind of things to, to overcome. And the pandemic was actually a good thing in one tiny, tiny, tiny way. Hope that doesn't come off disrespectfully, which is that it forced us to do a lot more testing from home. And that actually, we realized there were a lot of variables that we weren't controlling for of like, oh yeah, someone's in their room has like really crazy lights behind them and just figuring out all these different things like that. And then when we launched, um, you know, we have this little thing, we created this thing for streamers so that you can see your face on the screen while you're playing. And, you know, that's when we learned that streamers were pretty particular about how their video feed looks and everybody was like, it's slightly warped, it's slightly warped. So everything with dealing with the, the camera was a lot of like uncharted waters and there wasn't literature online or other people who had tested for this stuff. So we really had to kind of do a lot from scratch and there wasn't a playbook for it, but definitely like hats off to, to Rich because he, he never gave up and just kept tweaking it forever on these little variables of all these little points on the face that determines what a blink is and what it isn't like, so that a twitch or a smile or turning your head or walking away that none of those things are registered as a blink. Yeah, I'm curious. It's actually bring up a couple of interesting points. Um, there, there are no other, at least that I can think of. Maybe you found them during development. Are there other games that have ever attempted to use the camera in the in the way that you have that you could at least look to for learnings, or was this truly uncharted? Maybe one or two, but not not okay. very commercial ones. Like still pretty experimental okay. things. Yeah, I mean, we we like you know, like Discord is such a resource for connecting with other devs. Um, and we were, we were, we would be looking um, for people who had had experience, like using the same plugins that we were using, for instance. And um, this one guy who really came in um, very clutch and helped us out late, late in the game. Um, he was in Germany and he was, he had a little app that he made on his own, which was like a VTuber app, um, you know, for, so you could have like an anime avatar if you're streaming. Oh, wow. His app's really successful. Um, he helped us out. And so a lot of the things we were looking at would be like, yeah, face filters and people working in that space. That's really interesting. And then you raised something that I guess I didn't even think of is some portion of this game was developed during the pandemic. I, I guess that most of your team was relatively distributed beforehand. So I, what was, was there a big change in the same way that, you know, we all had to, I went home from an office in March and I still haven't gone back. <laughs> well, yeah, um, <laughs> we would go off and on, but like, cause most of us are in LA, um, not our, not our artists. We, those, you know, we have great artists all over the world. Um, and, uh, Rich is in Canada, but, um, a good core of us are in LA. Um, but we never were like consistently, um, you know, we would, uh, there was a while there that we were working at, at the offices at riot and there was different times where we'd be meeting up more or less, but, um, yeah, it was not a huge, I think we were lucky in that way. Um, very lucky in that we were already very adapted to working as a remote studio. And, and like, that was something we, we was not a hard transition for us at all. Um, so there was the blinking mechanic and then there was also this mechanic of choice and branching. And I'd be really curious, you know, when, where, and how you decided to add some of those choices, um, and why, and yeah. what the design was there. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's been such the that was like a big part of the conversation all through is like how much of that. Um, uh, the, the first script that I wrote, you know, once we had that investment, I wrote the first full script. Um, it had a lot more um, variability in it. It actually, you know, I'm trying not to go into spoiler territory because we're still on this side of the fence. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it'd be easier to describe after that. But I think that um, okay. it basically had... Um, it was always going to have a very clear narrative to it and a very clear arc, but there was going to be a more, you know, more wide, very different ways that you could kind of get to the same end point. Um, uh, and I had written out, you know, these kind of um, three very different ways to basically come get through the story or this one section of the story was going to be, be very modular and variable. Um, and we were starting production on all three of those things. Um, and it was only in, you know, few months in we kind of were like oh man like we can try to do these you know these three things these three different kind of really distinct branches um uh and do them all kind of halfway or we can really really double down and, and really have that time to polish and pace on on one version of it and um we all kind of just you know the team you know helped me take a look in the mirror even though you know for me it was hard to get to, to let go of because you know i um as I said, you know, I'm excited by this medium and what it can do that, you know, other storytelling mediums can't. And obviously branching is one of those big things. Um, um, and I felt like I had found a really elegant way to branch the story in a way that could still maintain a, that concise narrative. But it turned out that, you know, we just didn't have the space for it. And then I found that cutting those those other branches actually ended up really strengthening the story because it, it did end up really focusing the story. It ended up um, just um, streamlining everything. And uh, um, it was a really good cut. It was a really good thing for us to do. So then we had a version of it that was basically, it went from being, have a lot more branching to basically being completely linear. And it wasn't until Skybound um, signed on and we were able to have a little more um, funds that we were going, okay, we've, we have this linear version that's really, really working. Um, uh, but there's still, we still have always wanted this to have more, more, more um, choice and just more player expression. And so players can feel like, they're owning the narrative in a larger way. And then we actually kind of reverse engineered this linear version and brought some of the, some choices back into it um, and found some places to like, um, to build out little branches again, not to the kind of degree that I had initially planned it out, but something that was kind of a halfway. And I think that we landed in a, in a, in a spot that, that, that um, we're really happy with, but it was definitely yeah, that like, push and pull. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're making like memories come back, but you know, I remember we kind of like kept this flame alive, like even though like we had had that that realistic sort of realization of, yeah, we're not going to be able to do this branching that, that Graham had written out. Um, we had kept a flame alive to it through like little comments on the script and the docs and stuff of, oh, this could be a place where there's like a little light branch. And and lo and behold, once we did get that injection of more resources, we thought, oh, okay, yeah, we, we can actually do some of these things. And I think it definitely taught us how subtle branches or small like light branches can still be really, really impactful if, if they're written well and if they feel meaningful. And we, we saw, you know, we, we got to have this amazing experience of watching a lot of streamers play the game. And we were really, um, really happy to see that those little branches like meant so much to people. Yeah, yeah I know totally. on my second playthrough, I, I specifically made sure to try and do the opposite of a lot of the things I did the first time just to sort of push at the edges. And I think you're right. Um, there, it, 
there were meaningful differences and I felt bad oh, making right. some that's of the right. choices that I, that I made, but I really, I wanted to know, I wanted to know what it was like. I, I remember doing, you know, the first time through, I don't think it's too spoilery. I, I rejected um, all things like related to music school and I answered the phone and went camping on the second okay. time through. I was like, let me see what happens if I'm like the dutiful son and I like yeah. practice and I like don't see her. And so it was interesting to see the, like you were saying, the way that things do um, deviate, but then they came back in a way that it felt natural to me. Like it, it worked. Although I do, I, and I guess I can wait till after we put up the spoiler barrier. I do have one question about the music school, but it'll, it can wait. Okay, um, great. Yeah. Well, that's, so, that's really good to hear. And we, we were always trying to find places where you could do those branches that, you know, kind of worked with production as well. Cause again, you know, indie game, not a huge amount of money of our team. So everything had to be very careful in our choices. So like, one of them is like you can choose to sign with an art agent or not. Um, and uh, basically, like, you know, because of the way that we design the game, like we even in one case where you go out to dinner and either you're out to dinner with your mom or you're out to dinner with your old art school professor. And we were able to actually use the exact same mocap data and just throw on different, you know, different yeah. characters, uh, especially in our low poly style. Um, and then, you know, I just had to write to the mocap data for the alternate branch and stuff like that of just like finding things. And again, designing scenes where a character's off screen so that you don't have to animate a whole different thing. But if it's a message on an answering machine, you just throw in a different VO file. So it was always about finding these places where it's like, yeah, that can have a huge impact on the player, but it's not going to have a huge impact on production. And we definitely learned how, you know, how to do those things. Well, it's really interesting. Very cool stuff. All right. I do want to start talking about spoiler territory. So I guess this is where we'd warn the people that are listening, um, or at least encourage them to go and play the game before we move on. Um, so I think that I've now given the sufficient warning for people to pause or wait. And so now uh, we can dive in. I'll, I'll start with something that's like probably a little safe just to, to make sure. I'm curious about how the story sort of began like did you have specific sources of inspiration did you draw from real world experiences um other forms of entertainment were there games films tv books what have you like where did it come from yeah totally i mean again we had so many kind of bites at the apple um uh you know early on i think we were bringing on you know those more kind of uh i remember early on kind of death of a salesman was something that i always kept going back to because i was like studying that in school and the way that that's kind of, you know, in one timeline and then we keep flashing back. Um, and it's like this kind of take on the afterlife. I remember Will talking a lot about that movie by Tarsem, The Fall. That was a big influence for him. Um, the kind of like unreliable narrator stuff. Um, so we had a lot of influences, as I said, like, you know, we're, we're coming out of, um, you know, we're big, big, like um, film nerds and stuff. And But I do think that once we had that money, it was sort of like we had tried so many versions of it that were... Um, maybe, you know, so much about the kind of um, different film influences and trying to do these different things that we loved. Um, but once we, it kind of took that many iterations to realize that I think to, the, the final iteration of the script was the first time that, you know, I was trying to pull on more, more personal stuff. Um, uh, I had dealt, uh, struggled with some chronic illness and had to have a major surgery when I was, when I was younger and, and um, dealt with some illness in my youth. And I think that stuff was kind of swirling around in my head. And for all of us, it was also all of us, you know, we all grew up in like the same kind of area. Like, as I said, I've known always since I was three, known Will since 13. Like we had a lot of shared stuff in our childhood. So like that, 
on that next iteration on that when we said okay let's get much more personal with this and we we even took this process of all going back to our old home movies and digitizing some of those and we would go hang out and like watch old family uh 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 family vhs's of of, of each other's um families and we would spend a lot of time um uh you know at ollie's house which like kind of i grew up around we all grew up around um that ended up we ended up actually using that as the kind of model like we kind of modeled it over ollie's house um uh um and so yeah it was actually kind of like still obviously having all those films and all that reference in there but actually trying to get a little bit more like no let's make our version of the game um i think um definitely really helped um unlock it and, and it was the first time i think that we, we we ended up with something that didn't feel like it was you know pretentious film kids trying to do um this kind of cool thing and and more like something that just came a little bit more from the heart um and yeah. i think that yeah that was a big lesson for us i i think like there was in the in the initial iterations there was that notion of um something about time passing um but it really needed like sub themes to to manifest it and, and really specify it and i think that kind of turn that 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 we took and and Graham very much took sort of to the personal, unlocked those about, you know, about careerism and expectations and self-acceptance and things like that. And then it started to click and started to rev, like just reading through the script of like, okay, this, this knows how, how it is approaching this question of time passing. So now I want to talk about the huge reveal um, because it changes everything. Uh, and I'm curious if that was always planned or is that something that came later? I mean, it re it's, it's a really transformative moment when you realize it's all been a lie. Um, yeah. and, and then, and then the, the experience itself like changes so radically and, and I, yeah, I just want to know yeah. like how, where that came from. <laughs> yeah. And when um, it, I, I think, yeah, I think that, I think a lot of things were floating around in our heads. You know, I was spending a lot of time watching, yeah, movies like Afterlife Stories and reading Afterlife Stories um, um, during that time. I think it was in a conversation with uh, um, um, Ollie. There's also this, I'm just now remembering, it just like came to mind, but there's this, um, this old British movie called A Matter of Life and Death um, by like the... Uh, uh, Powell and Pressburger, like these, these, um, it's like an old, this beautiful Technicolor, um, Ealing, uh, uh, British studio film, but it has like a sort of a, a lawyer who's representing someone after they've died and then sort of making an accounting of their lives. And so that was sort of in my head, um, this idea of this kind of, uh, we always wanted this character of this ferryman who was sort of your, and I think that that movie and certain things kind of unlock this idea of a, of, 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 you know, sort of somebody who has to represent you um, to 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 prove that your soul is worthy and that idea of worthiness. And I don't know if then also thinking about the personal steps in my life, those that struggle and how being sick at that age, it's like that's an age, especially middle school coming into high school where you're so being asked to think about your future. Um, um, your whole life is really in service at that time. It's all about your future. And there's so little, you know, respect given to just all the, you know, the emotions of the present. It's so much about what are your, how are you, how are you setting yourself up to get to college, to get a career? Um, yeah. And I think that suddenly I remember just kind of all kind of dawning on me this idea of like, wow, what about, you know, a kid who's, um, uh, who turns out doesn't have that future and how that puts into question um, all of the kind of themes that we were, were playing with, because it was always about, 
is life about celebrating, you know, what you have and the moment that you're living in? Or is it about working towards this abstract future of greatness that you're going to achieve? And um, thinking about, you know, illness and this kid, this really, you know, tragic subject, but realizing that it wasn't, yeah, that's, that's it, you know, and it, it was almost once I had the idea, there was almost, I remember this fear. I remember calling you all in being like, like, you know, I don't want us to do the sick kid thing. It's so, you know, it can be so manipulative and, and, um, but realizing that it really did unlock, uh, you know, in its very natural way, um, uh, so much of the, like the questions that we were, as Ollie said, we were always trying to get after, but we never really found a natural way into it. So I think I went off and wrote a really quick little, like four page version of it, like a little fable basically. Um, and I sent that to, to Will and Ollie and they were both like, yeah, this, this made me choke up. Like, so there's, this is this, there's something here. And so, yeah, it was really kind of, it kind of all just kind of clicked and we were, and, and that happened really early, really early on once oh, wow. we had that, you know, after, after some, uh, that wasn't in any of the other versions, but I'm talking about once we had that riot investment, I had that time to work. We spent like a month talking about different things, watching movies, get it at, do, you know, looking at stuff, talking, we'd have meetings and talking circles. And then, then suddenly that kind of just clicked. I think it was in a conversation with you, Ollie, that it kind of clicked. And then suddenly we just all kind of went, yep, that, that's, that's, that's a structure. We can build a story on that. Um, and yeah, yeah, it really, it really screwed us up because now like I have this sense that on every project, there's this huge aha moment. And I know that's not really <laughs> true, but that was, that was it for us. And Graham sent over this, like, yeah, I think it was like one page front and back, like fable. Um, and we were like, this is it. Um, so that was nice. Yeah, it was Once the you, idea of somebody lying to 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 you know it, it, at, in a in, in the afterlife, someone trying to lie to this you know Saint Peter at the gate kind of figure, and then realizing that they're not lying because you know they're they did something terrible. They're lying because they have um, misunderstood what greatness is. They, that 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 um, I think there is something in a in a in a C.S. Lewis book called the, the Great Divorce, which is this sort of his. Uh, he kind of writes about the afterlife, but it's this idea of what greatness is on our world is this is about achievement. Um, so, you know, so it's this, this angel and there's this great procession in heaven and the person that's with this angel says, Oh, that must've been some great person, some war general or someone, cause they have this great, you know, procession following them. Um, and, 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 and the angel answers, no, actually she was just this like local woman who took care of, you know, local cats and was this poor woman who died in obscurity and you don't understand what uh, greatness is up here is not what it is greatness is down there. And that, I think that idea was just so um, powerful to us, this idea that like a, a, a character who's misunderstood what um, a life is supposed to contain and, and thinks they need to lie when in fact they're, you know, they, 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 they were great in the eyes of this sort of cosmic being. It, um, it was a, it was very powerful. Like I, I'm glad it's in there. It, it changes so much uh, of the experience and elevates so much of it. Uh, and I'm curious, it, it also has an impact, at least, or I perceived it had an impact on just the, the mechanics of the game as well, right? Everything gets subverted a little bit, like um, the the way the blinks work or the way they, they don't, the things that you wind up doing, the things that you could blink away from at the beginning of the game um, that you then can't. And I am still upset, I will say, about Ernie's um, <laughs> children. Although at least Ernie showing back up uh, sort of made it okay, but as a, as a cat person, 
that was yeah <laughs> but it was also yeah, really yeah. interesting to have those moments of the game making me face those things um, yeah yeah that that was sort of what we realized was like our perfect boss level was like okay we've made this <laughs> this game where it's like it's always it's always just if you blink you just jump forward and you don't have to replay it and it was like oh that would be so fun to do a section where just one little section where you are being forced to if you miss it, you have to go back and watch it. And that lined up so perfectly with the narrative of this kind of interrogation of like, no, you have to show me that thing. So that was just kind of a lucky. Yeah. A lucky I mean, I think there was, a, <laughs> there was that excitement, I think, um, from an early stage about showing kind of mundanity. Um, and that was something I think we, we love films that, that do that, but we also, yeah, there was this interest, I think, um, in, in the script that you wrote, Graham, about, repressed memories as well and and what it is that maybe you forget intentionally um so we we wanted a small part of the game to look at that and with yeah with the ernie thing uh i think for us i remember when we were going what who's this personification personification of death gonna be and then we all had these memories of growing up in la coyotes are such a big problem and um uh most you either had a friend or you had a pet that get got killed by coyotes if you were a kid growing up in LA so so for us always wanting to make this afterlife we kind of designed on Benny psychology the character it's like what's a symbol of death that uh, a child might have what's an early what's for all, us maybe some of the earliest experiences with with death were the terror of holy shit we left our the cat outside where's the cat where's the cat and then going and finding them out in the and just what a, what a traumatic thing that is but it was something we all kind of shared it's something if you grew up in the yeah in in the west coast of california you you might have that experience um so that i will that. tell you i grew up in la and oh, so it was our cats and there she was uh, <laughs> he was coyote food so there you it's, go. It's, it's really true you know it um, you know it. Yeah. yeah you heard it here my cats That's are great. not allowed outside under any circumstances for exactly those reasons. Yes. So, yeah. No, it, it is, it is a traumatic experience. Um, <laughs> um, and then just related to all of that, right. This is, it's a heavy game. It's, it's difficult themes. What's it like to work on something for so long? Um, that's so personal and emotional. Like, did it, I don't know, were there times that you were overwhelmed or times you felt you were getting desensitized? Like what's just, what's it like? Yeah, I mean, both, both of those <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, it kind of comes in waves. I remember sitting in the recording session, um, you know, Sarah Burns who plays Elle, the mother, you know, um, giving her performance during a scene where she's very panicked. And that for me was like really hard to listen to. And still anytime I, play that scene or, or watch someone play that scene like that audio is is a bit much for me um and I think that there were times where people on the team had to like pause or or, or step away from whatever prefab they were working in and and go somewhere else because there are like really difficult parts and that was something we had a lot of um concern about too of just like how are people going to handle this at times because we were going to intense places but I feel like that was pulled off really well and, and people, you know, people appreciate it for what it is. Um, but yeah, you, you lose your objectivity and, and then you have to watch someone play it and see and, and hear about it through them. Graham, add something to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, it is weird how quickly you get desensitized and, and, and Ollie makes a great point that it is, um, that it is, uh, uh, 
because you just work on it for so long. You put in temp um, audio um, just with you most of the time. It would be like us or our friends. Um, and so it's very hard to have any emotional relationship to it. And then there are those points, like the, the big points are once you get to the, the actual actors in, we had an amazing cast and you suddenly go, oh, whoa, this is, you kind of forget. There's all these like moments where, yeah, you rem- you're reminded. And the other point is the music, which Ollie obviously did such an amazing job with. Um, that was really the moment, you know, you get that full audio and the, 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 the performance is in there. And then suddenly you're like, oh, wow, this is emotional. And then when, when the music comes in, then suddenly it kind of, you really are reminded because you spend so, so much time with these things, especially when you're a small studio, you're, you're your own testers. So, you know, for, for, you know, I think before that final VO and music, you're at the point where it really is just shapes and colors and sounds and problems. Um, and you don't even, you don't think about what it means at, at a certain point. You're just literally just like, it's just, it's just work. Um, but yeah, there are those moments where it comes back to you and it can kind of hit now you all at once. Now it's the opposite for me now that we're like a year out. Um, and we went through a time where we were just like watching streamers back to back. We're like, oh, whoa, people are playing the game. But, you know, now that it's a year out, it's like sometimes I'll go a long time without, um, experiencing the game firsthand at all like obviously there's still work being done but actually you know it's not like we play test or anything like that so now when i go back to it it's almost triggering because it reminds me of just how intense the the development process was and you kind of get a flashback of when you were doing this stuff and now it's triggering in that way and that's how i'm, I'm sensitive <laughs> to it <laughs> i'm curious some of those bugs yeah and just like how how you know, we really grew up during it. And like Graham said, we were, we were really just friends. And then it was an intense process kind of growing up and learning how to do all the game dev stuff throughout it. And so, yeah, you, you, you see a certain thing and you remember um, a certain day or night working on it. So it leads me, we've talked a lot about, you know, what went into it and the, the process to building it. I'd like to know what it was like releasing it, especially now that you can look back and celebrate all of the like nominations and the awards and congrats on the BAFTA. Like it's well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah. What was it like? I'm so curious from the day you sort of set it out into the world until I guess now a little bit more than a year later. Um, yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say, cause I feel like there's so much to say on this is like, you know, Graham uh, wrote a very vulnerable kind of story and very, you know, he drew on a lot of personal experience and, and, um, immediately hearing people sort of be grateful for it and then build on it and share their experiences of saying, okay, well, this, this was really important for me for X, Y, and Z reasons. Like that was very quickly that happened. And that was sort of the best prize that we could ask for kind of a thing. Um, so that was, that was amazing. And then, you know, when we shipped the game, I think it was like 5 AM in, in LA. Um, and we just sort of went on Twitch and, Oh, someone was playing in England. And then after that, it's like, well, no, wait, now someone else is playing it over in, in New York. And that was sort of really amazing because no matter we were still Indian, we didn't get to test the game on a on a really robust level. So a lot of things we were seeing for the first time in the way that people would engage, um, especially with streamers, because they they talk about their experience. And then you get to see a really big streamer like you know, some of the top ones do it and they're in a, interacting with their chat and you get to see the chat kind of talk about how they're perceiving things. So that was kind of a little bit of a, of a fun thing for us post-launch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, watching the Twitch became a kind of an addiction for, for the, for the whole, for the whole team. Cause it was like, we didn't expect it to, 
you just don't know, right? And yeah, we 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 all we all gathered. We we would all just watch watch streams, and it was just just seeing people. I remember, I mean, there was a lot of tension at first when you're watching these streams because it was like, are they going to get through it? Are they going to get hit some progression blocker? Every so often that would happen, and we 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 rushed out a patch, and that was actually really useful for that reason. But most of the time, just seeing them get through it, and so many people crying, and like it was it was uh it was. Yeah, it was super cathartic, and I remember we all gathered at Ollie's house and projected some a stream, and we were like watching someone in Japan play it, um, and just like drinking and celebrating and watching on a on a, on a uh, against projected against his house, and that was like there's something so cool about we didn't know that like when you release a game that you get you get to have this like really close you can really watch people experiencing it in a really intense way. Like obviously you can go watch your movie in a theater. Um, but you literally are like up on their face, <laughs> seeing how moments are hitting them, and they are literally talking through their their reactions. Um, yeah, it, it taught us so much. It's like we didn't know really what we had made, and and that's what's so cool about games is that like they are being they are made when the player plays them in a way. It's like that's you've kind of put you know you've designed the Rube Goldberg and then now they, you know, but they have to actually, you need that player. Like literally it is nothing without the player playing it. And especially when you've been playing it yourself and you know it so well, you're, you're not even really a player. You're some other, you're some other thing. You're not actually experiencing it. And so watching people take that ride for the first time and being able to see it and see, and, and you learn so much, you know, it really did teach us. It taught me like what games are. It was like, Oh, especially the games we make. I just remember realizing, oh, this is like an improv game. You know, it's like this is, this is this this is about how it's dialoguing with the player, and like that 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 the meaning is being created by the player and their reaction. So that was so cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, we still. It's also such a drug just shipping a game. And I think one of the hardest things about game dev <laughs> is that it takes really long and it's it's kind of like sad to tell someone, oh yeah, I'm starting another game. Like I'll see you in a couple of years. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a tough part about it. But when you do put it out there and it goes relatively smoothly, like it is very intense, um, that feeling. And then yeah, we still get people writing us letters and, and just sharing like really, really personal stories. And those are just, for us, I think that's that makes it all worth it. And we were shocked, obviously, by, you know, again, we had, you know, we started to know that we were making something that was probably pretty good or, or that, that um, we thought, you know, we were proud of it by the end. But we had had so many years where it was like, oh, are we going to just be one of those failed Kickstarters um, that like our I think our expectations were pretty, pretty low um, for us. It was always like the dream was just getting a game out the door. Um, so, and just having shipped really, because again, we had had so many years where just doing that seemed like it was going to be an impossibility yeah. shipping anything of any quality. So, um, yeah, when it came to like, you know, the reviews being what they were, it just being reviewed at all by major publications, like as a lifelong reader of Polygon and IGN and games, it's like, you know, I, I, every day checking those sites since I was in middle school and yeah, I mean, that was a pretty, and then coming to these award shows, like, you know. To, to, to DICE and the Game Awards, and we were at the GDCAs, and then ultimately the BAFTAs. I mean, it's still been, you know, it's still still processing it a little bit because it's not something we ever, it was not in our, you know, it was not in our, we weren't expecting it. You know, we, we really were not expecting it. So we're, we're just, we're just super grateful. Well, like I said, I, I think all the accolades and all the love are well-deserved. You, you made something really special, um, really different, and I don't know, really, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm glad it exists, and uh, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk. Because, like I was saying, I've, I've been a big fan of the project. Uh, clearly, a big fan of yours. Are you allowed to talk about what might be next for for Goodbye World, or is that still TBD, or is it confidential, or is like, you know, what it's fine. There's nothing you can say. There's actually so actually. Yeah, I have to ask. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly. It's mostly. I don't think we're gonna get too deep, and um, we're still. We're still kind of figuring it out, and, and and the details are still out. I think that there's actually two projects that are going to be starting up. Will's starting something really, really exciting that we're also helping on. And then we're also um, uh, pushing ahead with another project that is um, more of a close follow-up to Before Your Eyes. In no way a sequel, but um, continuing to explore eye tracking um, and, and storytelling in some some really unique ways. I think that's a, as far as, as we'll probably go. But we are continuing to, you know, we, we feel we took this big, you know, risk that we never knew how it was going to work out with, with, we always thought it was really cool. We didn't know what, what you know, the grander market was going to think about making a game around blink. And, and it felt like to us, like, you know, we've been so happy that we feel like all through, we were always like, well, you could do this with eye tracking. You could do this with eye tracking. And we'd always go, wait, that's for another game, keep it into this. So as soon as it came to this moment, well, we can make another game. We were like, there's so many exciting ways to utilize this tech. Um, to tell um, emotional stories. So that's kind of where we're heading next. I am curious, uh, with the sort of removal of, of traditional control schemes, did you find that there were people that were engaging with the experience that may not traditionally be video game players uh, because it's uh, easier to engage with from a mechanical perspective? Yeah, I mean, that was always yeah. the goal. Um, and I think a little bit, Ollie, I, I, I mean, that definitely something as we designed it, that we always wanted it to be a game that could be played by anyone. And we think it really is a game that can be played by anyone. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's like, there's a two pronged answer there. One is that there's a question of kind of physical accessibility, um, which I think this before your eyes is kind of like a tip of the iceberg sort of thing where, um, and there's a lot of people out there doing things with alternative controllers, um, people doing it like in their rooms. And then of course, like some of the platforms and, and bigger first parties are, are pursuing that as well. And I think there's so much to be done there. Um, I think what we've done is sort of shown how you can make a good game when you start there, as opposed to mapping it on retro actively. Um, but there's a lot more to be done. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, for us, we hope that people see this as a sort of, um, an indication that there's a lot that can be done with alternative controller inputs. And then I think there's also a question of sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say non-skill based, but yeah, like the, ki the kind of games we're interested in, even going back to like when we were in high school playing games, like we were excited to get a friend who was a non-gamer and have them play Journey or Limbo because that was fun for us. And I think we're now trying to do that ourselves. And like we saw that online too, where you'd have, people playing the game who were like really good Twitch, like FPS players, and they would be just as good or bad at playing this game as somebody who, you know, it was their first stream playing a game because it's, it's the newness that is the only challenge. There's nothing about skill that's there. And, and for us, like that's, that's something yeah. we're passionate about. I mean, I think people, I think everyone could enjoy interactivity, right? I think that like, that doesn't seem like a disputable fact. Um, it's just that, you know, the greatest interactive storytelling is often tied to game literacy. Um, and so only people who are literate, you know, and know how to play games and are active gamers can access this other thing that 
that you don't, you know, which is like the great storytelling and like the games, you know, like the AAA games, games you're working on that like great games that are our inspiration. Um, uh, uh, but going like, it's so interesting how a lot of that great stuff is, is hidden behind, you know, can only be accessed if you know how to move in first person space or, you know, how to, you know, run around and jump on things. And so, yeah, I mean, for us, we, we really hope because it's like, there's no doubt that anybody can enjoy interactive media, whether or not they want to, you know, play a, a skill-based game. Um, uh, and it's just a matter of how do you get that in front of those people? Um, um, and that's going to be really, we, we hope that the, uh, I, there's some signs and some things that are coming up for before your eyes that show that maybe there's, there's a chance that, um, that's going to start to change. There's going to be more avenues to get that to them. It's like, I, 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 we hope we wish more non-gamers were playing it. I think because right now it's just on PC and Mac, you need to have, you you probably want a steam account. It's, it's, it's more like maybe if if a gamer shows a non-gamer, it's like, and then they'll have a great time. So I, I think going forward, I just, I really do hope that there are more avenues for people who don't play games to find experiences like ours or, or, or the kinds of games that um, don't have that barrier to entry. We also just like that. I think we enjoy that that type of interaction more and more. It's sort of like interesting to us. And even if the next generation is like every single person in the world is a very proficient FPS player, which it seems like that might be the case, um, we're still going to, I think, make this kind of stuff because for us, it's fun. Well, that sounds great. And I am very excited to see what comes next uh, as a huge fan of yours. Um, I guess... I, I'm out of questions. If there, is there anything, I don't know, you want to leave me with you, that you think I should have asked about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? I at least wanted to give no, no, you a chance to share. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I will say that um, one of the cool kind of um, things that this has brought about for us is like getting to meet people who've worked on games that are really important to us, um, getting to meet people who've been like, doing this for a long time and veterans and we're just like oh my god i can't believe we're talking to this person so it's very cool to be doing this with you right now we really appreciate it oh awesome well thank you Uh, i don't know i feel like you are much cooler and better at this than i've ever been so i am i am as excited as and uh impressed and so thank you for for taking the time to uh chat thank you so much Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.